Halloween. A time for candy, a time for all things spooky. A time to watch nostalgic movies and TV specials that fill our hearts with fright and delight. One such film about three child-eating witches resurrected by a virgin on Halloween night became such a classic. But when the film was unleashed in the summer of 1993, it was not a hit with critics or audiences. Until years later, it put its spell on viewers who discovered its blend of high camp and spooky mischief. So come, little children, light the black flame candle and prepare for a special Halloween treat as we conjure up a little Hocus Pocus. Justin, don't you mean Halloween? You said it wrong. Halloween! (laughs) Baby, ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourselves for an extremely special spook motherfucking tacular <laughs> epic film guys b-sides episode this has been in the making for years many many years Lois several House, years at least yes that you and i have talked about discussing the classic the iconic classic <sighs> that is hocus pocus i think it all started loisos if you go like three years or so back and loisos had mentioned something about this amazing film that everyone loves on social media and i came up with a meme that says brian loy is wrong in big bold letters (laughs) about hocus pocus so we'd like to welcome you ghouls ghosts and of course all you witches out there to this extremely special halloween centric episode coming right before the best holiday in the entire year for our review of hocus pocus loisos i already kind of said what the movie's about a little bit in the introduction but just tell just tell our listeners if anyone on this planet if there's that one person that lives on an island by themselves that has access to podcasts doesn't know what hocus pocus is can you tell them what it is well, um, I hesitate. I mean, I, I, I guess I could talk about the plot, but it's a plot. I can already that, see. I can it, already see the look in your face having a hard time talking about this movie. I love this so much. You did this to me. Um, it, it, it's a plot like an infant can follow. It's it's very simplistic. Um, you have typical, very typical '90s white Disney kid. He's moved into a new town. I'm surprised he has both of his parents. Actually, uh, that that surprised me because usually in a '90s Disney film, the single parent syndrome. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. So, in order to impress a girl, he decides to unleash the Sanderson sisters, three infamous witches, uh, onto the town of Salem, and like I don't know, hijinks ensue. I guess. There you go. There it is. <laughs> Good enough. I mean. My viewpoint, Loisos, on this is the movie takes place during the best holiday ever, Halloween. It has 1990s Halloween bowl cuts. Okay. It has witches. It has a CGI talking black cat. It has fun musical numbers. It has Mm. Sarah Jessica Parker's cleavage. And it has Doug Mm. Jones as a zombie. I mean, honestly, what more could you ask for in a kid's Halloween movie? So all of those things would be great if they were good. They are good. (laughs) They're so good. Um, This movie is hokey (laughs) as hell. And I knew that even when I was a child watching this movie. Isn't that the part of what Halloween's all about? You get to pick fun at it. You get to make fun of it, but it's also spooky. So it has this serious side. This to it movie's as well. not spooky. Oh, there's plenty of spooky in Hocus Pocus. So, Loisos, you just mentioned that when you were a kid, you knew this movie was hokey. That's right. It is Hocus Pocus, after <laughs> all. Do you remember the first time you saw the film? I must have watched it on the Disney Channel or ABC Family because this movie showed nonstop during the Halloween season. And I I don't remember exactly what my first exposure to it was. It was just always on. And even when I was a kid, and I had questionable taste in movies as a kid. You still do. What are you talking about? (laughs) I I, I knew this was crap. 
even then. Listen, you're crap for saying it's crap. For me, I remember the first time I even took a glance at Hocus Pocus, I was on my way to see Jurassic Park, and I was seeing it much later in the summer because my parents would not take me to see it, so my grandparents had to take me to see it, and <laughs> it was so late in its original run that it was in the, the behind the theater theater, like a tiny theater, and what was playing on the main screen was Hocus Pocus, so I actually walked through part of Hocus Pocus to see Jurassic Park, and I was like, whoa, dude, what is this movie, Halloween and Witches? So I had to see it, and of course, from then on, we got it the year after on VHS, and it became a staple in my household that I watch every single year. I actually had the opportunity, and I'm very thankful for it. Uh, finally, Disney realized they weren't making enough money this year without theaters showing all their movies. They actually allowed theaters to show both that and The Nightmare Before Christmas on big screens, and I got a chance to see it at Family Drive-In in Stephen City, Virginia. Last weekend, it was a delightful experience. It was amazing. It was a cool, spooky, fall evening. Lots of people were out having a great time. You could feel the mood in the air. Um, I'd, I'm sure you're aware that Disney, you're like, they're just like, here, go ahead, take it. We're not making enough money. So show our two most popular movies ever on the big screen. Yeah, well, I mean, they they can't exactly release Black Widow or any of the blockbusters that they have. They can't release all of those on Disney+, Plus, and they're certainly not going to release them in theaters. So they, they did what I think is a very smart business move and re-released uh, Hocus Pocus into cinemas, which I think it's made almost three million dollars yeah just... I, I saw that it already beat i think it beat uh, the jurassic park number that jurassic park hit earlier in the summer because that was doing very well it's so weird to think that like the top box office movies in 2020 are going to be like jaws jurassic park hocus pocus um but it's, it's it's kind of a great feeling as well to see these classics come back and make that kind of money it just shows that people still like classic filmmaking um but on top mm, of seeing classic it, yes <laughs> yes that is correct hocus pocus and the word classic go hand in hand boy sauce mm. um but I, I watched it last weekend. I also had an opportunity to pick up the brand new Steelbook with Ooh. the beautiful Matt Ferguson artwork on the front for Hocus Pocus. Uh, strangely enough, Disney waited a couple years after the 25th anniversary to release it on 4K Ultra HD. But I peeped that again this morning before we discussed the movie so I could check out the new transfer. And God damn it, Disney is getting better and better at their 4K releases. It is absolutely gorgeous. Those greens, those purples, the oranges, everything. Just absolutely stunning transfer. So really glad that they finally released it. I know that, that you know they're kind of like deciding whether or not they're going to release more catalog titles on 4k um they kind of put a stop to it a few months back we have home alone to look forward to as well but other than that so i'm, I'm prepped and ready for this boy sauce do you know anything about the history of this movie well sure this was the brainchild of david kirshner his his love for the halloween season uh, really shines through in his original concept and idea it kind of began as a story for his daughters that he would tell his daughters about their their family cat was not actually a cat it was a young boy who was turned into a cat by three witches and the story kind of unfolded from there and of course who else is also involved in the script writing process but nick garris who's a legend yes. in the horror community a horror legend which is why if anyone hates this movie that means you hate mick garris that's not true yes it's true i love i love the story that kirshner tells about when he and garris went into the the room of suits as we like to call them to try to sell the movie to disney he had two witches brooms on the wall a vacuum cleaner and 20 pounds of candy corn on the table in front of each each seat in order for like them to give them in the Halloween mood to sell the story. Now, they also did this with Steven Spielberg as well. And Spielberg wanted to do the movie. He was extremely excited by the pitch until he heard the word Disney. And as we know, Disney and Amblin, no, no, that can't be their competitors. And they were heavy competitors in the 80s. This is like 1985 or six when they pitched the movie originally. So it took that long for it to actually get made. But I love hearing that story about them putting that all in front of the suits and be like, yo, man, this is the movie you want to make. Um, and Mick Garris put a lot of effort into writing this script. Obviously, he's a huge horror lover. He spent six years going to Salem every single year, right around Halloween, where they do their 10-day their ritual in the lead-up to Halloween, where real witches gather. Uh, apparently, Salem, of course, is where most of the witches in the entire world, like real witches, live. And on Halloween, they hold like a candlelight vigil for the witches that have passed away under distress, if you will. And he spent that much time researching and, and figuring out what the best way to handle this this script was going to be uh, i love mick garris if you haven't listened ladies and gentlemen postmortem with mick garris is one of the best horror related podcasts in the world uh, he's a fantastic story 
storyteller and, of course, interviewer. So make sure to check out his podcast if you haven't. I absolutely love hearing him talk about the making of Hocus Pocus and seeing his name pop up on the screen as an adult. I mean, I didn't know who he was as a kid. Really, really puts a smile on my face. Absolutely. And the film opens very promisingly. You have those flyover main titles with the um, terrific music. Um, the the opening of the film really sets a mood. The, the production design, the atmosphere, um, yeah. the, the music, it, it all invokes the spirit of fall and Halloween. And of course, the film opens in Salem in 1693. And there's like suitable tension that the film starts out, out with as... Um, Young Thackeray Binks discovers that his daughter, that his sister Emily, has been taken by the witches, and he's racing to their cottage to rescue her. And so it starts very excitingly. Yeah, it instantly nosedives once the witches appear on screen. That is absolutely aggressively irritating performance. Absolutely incorrect. I mean, what you just said a few minutes ago was correct. The opening of the movie, the witch's cabin, it's quintessential Disney evil. You see the purple smoke coming out of the chimney of the cabin. You see deep orange sunset. It literally looks like it's out of a classic Disney animated feature. And the way that I approach my opinion on the witches is they're supposed to be like cartoon characters. It is a Disney movie, Loisa. So that's, to me, that's the only way to really explain this is they're playing it as cartoon, very heightened cartoon characters. I understand that. I I respect that. It doesn't mean I have to like it. It doesn't mean I have to be charmed by it. (laughs) Listen, if you can't be charmed by what is literally the equivalent of candy corn in your mouth on screen, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, as soon as they walk in, I love when they come in and there's like this amazing chemistry between the three. Obviously, Bette Midler as Winifred, Winnie Sanderson, Sarah Jessica Parker as Sarah and Kathy. I can never say her name right. Najimi as Mary Sanderson. They literally are one unit and you can tell they put so much effort and time into creating this kind of sister-like chemistry that they're supposed to have. When one of them moves Loisos, the other one reacts. It's a constant chemistry that goes throughout the movie. The way they pick up little hints of nuance within the group off of each other is amazing. It's classic comedy. It's literally like the Three Stooges, but in the 90s. Yeah, but the Three Stooges had like, uh, uh, I, I, I guess my problem with it, it's, it's like they tried to make each of the three witches have like a distinct personality. But the problem is, it seems like they're all fighting for like, who can be the most over the top. These are three of the hammiest performances I've ever seen. Each of the three witches are constantly screaming, screeching, squealing, singing, giggling, cackling, barking. And you just, and just, you d- you just described what a witch is supposed to do. And, and like mugging for the camera. They even breathe loudly. Like you can hear them breathe the entire movie and it's just like shut up they're supposed to be obnoxious and i'm like shut up they're witches they're supposed to be listen buddy i don't know what your i don't know what your interpretation of witches are but i mean you got the big one which is the sexy one and and then you got then you you have one that's a dog for some reason oh Kathy Najimi is like barking the entire movie. I guess she's like the. And she does that little, the weird lip thing where her lips constantly over. What is that? I guess she's like the bloodhound of the group because she's she's, she's out the, the curly dude. She's the curly. It's literally the Three Stooges. <laughs> like you can't look at it any other way. They're they're trying to do that version of these characters, and they are very cartoonish. But I think that's what makes the movie special. Now, mm, special to, to, indeed. To, to go back a little bit further, I, it's very interesting to look at this movie. You know, over twenty five years after it's come out thinking that the original concept was supposed to be a lot darker yeah I, I can imagine this concept with actual like s- actual scariness injected into it could be pretty interesting could be fun yeah, it, it was it was originally supposed to be 12 year olds and then Disney was like well 16 year olds aren't going to pay money to see 12 year olds so they made the kids teenagers and it, the movie had more to do with confronting your fears and confronting death um so I mean like it's a very interesting idea obviously I think for the time Disney actually allowed more in this movie than they normally did yeah the script has they, a lot of innuendos in it surprisingly yeah which which we're definitely going to get to <laughs> and I, ha- I have to make this clear before we go any further we dig into the actual movie itself here and 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 I mentioned the extreme similarities between Hocus Pocus and the 1985 ABC made-for-TV movie, The Midnight Hour, which I know you horror fans out there, a lot of you out there, some of you are lucky enough to own an out-of-print copy of the movie on DVD. There's no Blu-ray. If you want to watch this after I talk about it, it's on YouTube. Lois House, I know you've never seen it. I recommend it every year, but I don't think you've ever watched it, 
right? No, I have not. Yeah, starring a pre-reading Rainbow LeVar Burton, and the movie revolves around a group of high schoolers who unwittingly raise the dead, they vampires, witches, from an old ancient trunk encasing a paper scroll, which has an ancient curse. When they recite the curse at a local cemetery, things take a turn for the worse, and of course it's Halloween night, and they have to figure out a way to put these ghouls and creatures back in their graves. It's interesting, because Disney owned ABC at the time. This actually came out, like, right at the same moment when they pitched Hocus Pocus to Disney. And I find it interesting that, I mean, I know this is a lesser known film. It's made for TV. It's not like readily available on streaming services or anything like that. And it's just kind of a small thing that horror fans know about, but it's never mentioned or brought up. People act like Hocus Pocus is the most original story they've ever heard. But I mean, the movie is pretty much plot wise, story wise, very similar to the Midnight Hour. And I figured I'd bring that up because every year I watch both and every year I enjoy the hell out of both. The Midnight Hour actually is a little bit more spooky, but boy sauce, please, I ask of you, there's still a few days left in the Halloween season. Watch the Midnight Hour. I'll check it out. It sounds fun. I'd love to hear in the comments from our listeners if you have seen The Midnight Hour and if you've noticed the similarities in between the two films. I mean, it's obviously apparent. It, has, just, to be, it has to be better than this. Listen, <laughs> Hocus Pocus is better by a lot, but I enjoy both. I just wish I knew if in any way, shape, or form Hocus Pocus influenced the creation of The Midnight Hour. Um, but, but to move forward with the movie... Yes, the movie opens, we see the, the witches, and then, of course, they're hung. And I wish that they were... See, you I mean say hanged? <laughs> I never understood that. Why is it hanged? I hanged them. I hanged them there, witches up there, boy. Um, I don't know, but hung has a different connotation. So, okay, so they're hanged. Thank you. And then the movie jumps forward to 1993. I love the way that the opening of the movie turns into the teacher telling the story, the legend of the Sanderson sisters to her class. I just love that, the the transition transition, into that. And then, of course, we have Max, who is a naysayer. That can't be true. And then we have the whole class basically giving him heat for giving this legend shit. Well, they they try really hard to establish Max as like the L.A. cool kid. He's wearing tie-dye. He's drawing a marijuana leaf on his school paper. Did did you notice that? Yeah, I did this time. (laughs) On, On the new release, I actually could see a lot more detail, and I'm like, wow, the shit that Disney did not pay attention to when this movie got released. <laughs> Apparently, Loisos wearing a tie-dye, having a tie-dye blanket up on your wall and playing the drums means you're a California dude, according to 1993 standards. That's right, that's right. He also has a set of brass balls because he gives his crush his number in the middle of class in front of everyone. <laughs> and which listen, I, I never would have done, so I have to commend Max for this. I don't think anyone would have done it. And again, that may have gone back to the way that they're trying to show that this is not a New England kid, he's a California dude. He's good in the role, though. You know, no, he is. Leonardo DiCaprio initially auditioned for the role. He decided to do What's Eating Gilbert Grape instead. What a different move. Well, I don't, I don't know. Probably wouldn't have turned out very different, but it would have been interesting to see. Listen, um, you saw what Leo did in Critters 3, so probably not much of a difference between mm. that. and. But yeah, I mean, like the movie opens well. I, I love... I get so nostalgic for seeing movies that take place in the 90s and seeing kids in middle school because that's when I was in middle school. And yeah. you see, you see, you know, the wardrobe. It just it feels like you're a kid again, at least for me when I'm watching this. And then I love, you know, the chemistry between the two are is actually very good in the movie, I feel. You're right in that the, the opening of this film definitely sets a tone, sets an atmosphere. I mean, most of the film was shot on a Hollywood soundstage, but for the outdoor daytime scenes, they shot all of those actually in Salem, Massachusetts. So That's correct. when Max is riding his bike through the leaves oh, I love and the that. graveyard, oh, man. it just like conjures up the smell of the crisp fall air and the spirit of Halloween. I just, I love it. And then of course, after he does so, we're introduced to two of the most lovable hooligans on the planet. How many times I got to tell you, my name's not Ernie no more. It's ice. <laughs> Dude, there's stealing someone's athletic shoes is so fucking 1990s. Yeah. The spirit of this movie could go on forever, but as far as like the stealing shoes and the dude with the fucking ice you know, shaved into the shaved back, of, the his back of his head, like there's nothing more 90s than that. I mean, back and then, they, if, and the actors they give they give it their all. They're acting as if it's like the role of a lifetime. Like they're really enjoying. Well, it themselves. is. They're in Hocus Pocus, Loy Sauce. Mm. Those motherfuckers could show up at a convention at a table, and people would line up to get their autograph on the movie. I'm telling you right now. So it is a role of a lifetime. I don't know where you're at, but go to conventions. People will want to meet you. 
Well, one of the actors, um, the guy who plays Jay, uh, Tobias Jelenic, he went on to like Stranger Things, and so he's he's still getting work. So good good for him. But uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, the, the, these bullies, these bullies are just so ridiculous, almost matching the energy of of the witches, uh, but yeah. not quite as obnoxious. Well, that's the thing too. I mean, like I think that the level of camp in the movie is specific to the the bad people, whereas like with the kids aren't over the top at all. They, they just seem like very low key, very relaxed performances. Bland, yeah. Bland? I mean, they're just kids. I don't know what else you want more out of them. I mean, dude, Max sports a fucking bowl cut, dude. I mean, what's more awesome than that? Like, that's pure <laughs> 90s. That's all this needs to be. I don't know, man. Like... But yeah, and as as far as Jay and Ernie is concerned, back in the 90s or the late 80s, if you wore a black leather jacket, you were immediately a bad guy. Like you watch Saved by the Bell, you watch any like 90210, dude walks up with a, a black leather jacket, that's the bad guy immediately. So I love that. I love that uh, classic archetypal thing that they're they're doing with that. Um, but, but moving forward, I mean, this is Halloween and Max finds out he has to take his sister trick or treating. Obviously, he just had his new cross trainers stolen by the, the hooligans in the cemetery and uh you could tell this kid's having new kid in town syndrome i mean and i've been there and i think that's somewhat relatable for for kids when they watch the movie if you've ever had to move across country or anywhere to a new town when you're especially in your teenage years which again happened to me um it's very difficult to readjust and find new friends and find your place in a new town it's never explained why boy sauce his parents moved to salem from los angeles but it's a somewhat unnecessary detail regardless I think it just adds a little bit of teenage angst in there. Yeah, of course. And his parents seem very clueless and neglectful. Like he walks in without shoes and they don't even ask him like, what happened to your shoes? Um, Maybe it's a sign of him rebelling or whatever. Yeah, I I have no idea. But uh, so, yeah, he's feeling he's feeling a little alone and like like he's not very understood in his new environment. And he so play some fucking drums. Sh- yeah, that's right. And, and also masturbate on your bed thinking about Allison while your sister hides in the closet. Oh my God, imagine that, dude. That, I think that's insinuated. I'm almost positive that that's something He's doing that it supposed- on screen. <laughs> I don't know about doing it. I mean, you're supposed to, I mean, if you're older, you're thinking that he's doing it, but you don't see his actual hand moving. Do I don't you? know. He's, he's grinding that pillow. You, you <laughs> see it happen. I would imagine I'd be very embarrassed if my little sister popped out of the closet all of a sudden. Um, what she's doing in there, I have no idea. I guess to scare him. It is Halloween after all. She blackmails him essentially into taking him or taking her trick or treating. Um, and that seems to work. So that's little Thora Birch as Danielle. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. I think she's adorable in the movie. I think she's adorable now. I love her performance in this film. She's definitely a shining light. You can't hate anything she does. She's having so much fun in this movie. Yeah, good kid actor. Apparently for preparation, she memorized everyone's lines and she actually would on on set correct people. And I guess at one point in the film, she corrected Bette Midler and she learned never to do that again. Um, <laughs> but she, she is seriously so adorable in this movie. I mean, a lot of times, especially 90s movies per se i hate little girls in movies during that period they just come off as super obnoxious they're going over the top trying to be cute for the audience for the grandmother in the audience that's taking their you know their grandkids oh she's so cute like mary kate and ashley olsen growing up i fucking hated them <laughs> i wanted to chop their heads off like i hated like it's that a little extreme. whatever dude you're the one that likes to see kids get decapitated so but no she's she's great in the movie like i said i think the the unit of kids is great Allison, Danny, and Max. I just, I, I like them. I, I think they're good. I mean, you said they're bland. I don't know what more you'd want out of performances from kids. I'd say that Max and Allison are definitely bland. Danielle seems to have a little bit more sass to her, and, and I like that a lot. Um, and and more of a character to work with. Her relationship with Thackeray later on is is, is very well done. So what I what I, what makes my skin crawl is whenever Dan, Danny tries to absolutely humiliate her brother in front of other people, yeah, which just makes me crazy. Max likes your yabos. In fact, he loves them. Dude, so since whenever, please tell me this, and I know I'm way older than you, but when the fuck did guys start calling breasts yabos? Like when they were writing the script, I, I, did it say tits in there or something or boobs? And Disney's like, you probably. can't say that. Come up with a random word that, because I, I tried looking this up, dude. I searched yabos. Maybe I spelled it wrong. It, <laughs> I, it doesn't exist. So what is that supposed to mean? And then the reaction that Allison gives when she hears that, she just kind of like rolls her eyes and smiles. I'm like, 
like, dude, she she seems to think it's charming. She doesn't. She's not creeped out at all. But she kind of looks at him and smiles, and I'm like, I mean, she's wearing a a dress at the time, which you see on screen for all of like three minutes, which it has like a corset, so it is pushing up whatever is there. I don't know how old she was when she made the movie. It's nothing like the corset they had on Sarah Jessica Parker, but I mean that she changes and they go to the Sanderson house. And of course, Max does what any dumb teenager would do. He lights the black flame candle. They read the legend on the bound, the book bound in human skin, Which, given by, by the, the way, devil. I just want to, I just want to mention that's terrific prop design. Uh, that that book, it's made from human skin, and the detail on it is very, very good. I n- didn't notice this until this time, but the binding is actually made from human fingers put together. Yeah, it's, dude. it's really cool. And again, uh, this this seems like something that was left over from a take that was darker a script that was a little bit more grim and gritty and that's the thing too i think max is trying to posture in front of in front of allison like i'm not scared it's just a bunch of hocus pocus because throughout the entire film he's just constantly getting dunked on for being a virgin this kid is just getting wrecked the entire movie for not having lost his virginity yet i mean i I think they should give the kid a break it's not his fault most people are virgins until their teen years so when was he supposed to have lost his virginity when he was well he does live in la loisos he he did live in LA and those tie-dye shirts man if that didn't swoop you know swoop the ladies right in off the street i don't know what would you know that bowl cup bruh bruh but but like his younger sister is just constantly talking about his virginity which is weird then you have like the the scene where the police officers asking him if he's a virgin which is so fucked up and then you realize that he's not even a cop he's like just like a guy in costume like why is he con- so concerned about his virginity uh, it's just it's baffling to me i guess he overcomes that because not to give spoilers away if you haven't seen it hey uh, he, he lays the, in bed with her later the on. end of the movie implies that he's not going to be a virgin for much longer so <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly but so i just feel like back- <laughs> it's bizarre that the movie is so hung up on his virginity when young children are the audience for this movie and well dude there's they're probably sex- asking like mommy daddy what's a virgin <laughs> there's constant sexual innuendos in this movie all over the place and you have the horny me, bus it, driver who seems to want to impregnate the three witches yeah it, it might take me a couple of tries but hey um but they, <laughs> they, they they flow throughout the entire movie they they never stop um brave little virgin who lit the candle i'll be thy friend you know, you get constant, I want to play with the boys. Her Sarah Jessica Parker's obsession with playing with boys, the whole thing about the bus driver might needing a few times to give the witches children. You know, she's kissing the dude in the mummy costume, the mom wearing a Madonna costume. Even when Sarah Jessica Parker is on her, her broom, dude, she's stroking the broom slowly with as her, cleavage, her, out, as her yeah. cleavage hanging out and she's rubbing it all up and down it. I'm like, dude, literally, I, I, I still can't believe Disney released this with those innuendos in there. It's so risque for the time. I didn't, Disney never released anything like that up until that point. And I still think to this day, under the Disney banner, released a movie with this, you know, with that much cleavage or this much sex talk in there. I mean, I guess one could say, just like a lot of animated features in the 90s, Disney would put stuff in there for adults that only adults would get. But it didn't get this far where you're like, dude, which is the legit stroke in the fucking wood of the, the, the fucking broom, you know? Yeah, I, I I don't have an explanation for that. I uh, the the only thing I can assume is that the script had even more innuendo and even more sexual references and more scariness. But despite all of the leftovers, it se- it still seems a bit like sanitized from probably what the original script was. Yeah, most likely. And I mean. One would really love to see, I'm sure everyone would love to see what that movie could have been, but that loses the charm that the movie has. That's my view on it. I'm I'm happy the movie turned out the way that it did. I think what you think is annoying is charming. I, I literally love everything that's purely 90s about this movie. I, I think my annoyance from this movie comes mainly from the, just the constant, like everything's just turned up to 11 constantly. There's, there's very little time where you, you, the witches aren't on screen and screeching <laughs> so that's really the problem i have with the movie yeah and i think a lot it, of it, it a off- lot of it does have potential the atmosphere you know i, I again i love the cat i love billy butcherson we'll get to uh, to me i just like my skin crawls and my toes curl inward whenever the witches are on screen aggressively irritating screen presence i think it even goes up to 12 or 13 yeah when when they when they leave the cabin and they're on the loose trying to find yeah the kid that brought them they, they want revenge also the whole point of this movie the whole plot here is that they have one night in order to suck the life out of enough children to be able to keep themselves suck alive. the life out of the children that seems and, and, and quite literally they are sucking when they're doing those 
you know, there's that noise that you love. You know, they're literally sucking the life out of the kids, but they're more they're more stuck with trying to get revenge for, you know, getting these kids. And of course, this is when I think it's fun when you see them out and it's kind of like fish out of water. Yeah. Seeing them reacting to 1993 now because they've been dead for 300 years. Also, it's interesting to me that, you know, they were hanged. And then when they come back, they just look exactly like they did when they were killed. They're not like, I guess that's magic, right? Yeah, they're magic. I think that's the explanation for, you see them discovering things like ambulances and television and things like that. But then they say words like dude. They they have a moment later on where it's like, let me see your driver's permit. I'm like, how do you know I what know. a driver's permit they, they is? They learned so. that stuff really quickly within you know a few hours. But I mean, and they're constantly being tricked by modern technology as well. You know, the, the ambulance, the the television later on, the headlights. I think they could have sprinkler system that, you know, it's just water, but they get tricked by all these things. I think they could have expanded upon the fact, too, that over the past 300 years, the season of Halloween has changed so much. The the traditions, the whole thing about going door to door in costumes and getting candy, that was all new to them. They could have done more with that, but they didn't really. So I don't know if they were going for kind of anachronistic humor or fish out of water humor, but they don't really ever, there's no rhyme or reason to what they recognize or what they don't. I think it's just because their magic like for example the musical number scene that everyone loses their shit over which is fine or whatever but um, fine fine it's so memorable it's amazing dude how they know that song it beats the hell out of me it's a it's a standard it's of- a movie it's not a particularly good movie <laughs> <laughs> you're not trying hard enough voice sauce before that we get to the dance scene though it's one of my favorite I'm not trying hard enough to like it I have tried I've watched this many times one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie when they're out trick-or-treating is Gary Marshall who's uncredited in the movie Um, he's the master devil who shows the Sanderson sisters in his house he's like hey it's the Sanderson sisters haven't seen you in decades or ages or whatever brings them in then we see Penny Marshall from Laverne and Shirley sitting there I love how you see her actually smoking cigarettes and drinking liquor and eating fucking Cheetos in a Disney movie. That's Dude, right. Tell me how many other Disney movies do you recall from this era where you see a lady sitting there getting hammered, smoking cigarettes and eating Cheetos? I'm surprised for Disney Plus they didn't digitally erase all of that. Erase the, the cigarette and erase. Because, I mean, you don't see a liquor bottle as far as I know, but you see her drinking it and it's low level in the glass. Like you're like, that ain't no Diet Coke, bitch. That's fucking whiskey <laughs> or something. Yeah, because they, I mean, they did the same with Lilo and Stitch. They replaced the, the, the dryer that Lilo hides in with a cabinet. And it's like, kids, don't climb in a dryer. So, yeah, I'm surprised they didn't do that. I, I, I find it weird that Gary Marshall and Penny Marshall, who are siblings, are playing husband and wife. But that's neither here nor there. It's a nice cameo. I mean, it doesn't really add much to the movie. I, I do think it's cute that they think that he's actually Satan. I, I just like when it, it's such a cute line. I know, whatever, but it, don't make sure not to step on my tail. And they're going inside the <laughs> The door. I just there's something so charming about that. That was scene. probably all improv from Gary Marshall. Oh, of course it was. It's it's such a fun scene. Will Nastor dance with me? And then of course we have Sarah Jessica Parker with her chest pressed up against Gary Marshall, and then that obviously his wife gets mad, and of course the dog Ralph chases them out. They're witches. They have powers, and they're scared of a small dog. Uh, I don't know, but I'm sure what children were scared of is the scene. That has probably traumatized many a child in which Thackeray Banks is run over by the bus and it shows his flattened corpse laying in the street. I can imagine that would be so traumatizing for children in the Especially the way that John Debney, who did the score for the film, plays the music there. It's extremely tragic, sad music. And like, like, oh my God. Thora Birch's reaction to it too is so genuine. It's it's very sad. It only lasts for a brief moment. but A brief moment. Then I love he's like, I told you, I can't die. <laughs> All right, and, we have to get we have to get to Banks. Let's just talk about Banks, okay? Because yeah. this is 1993. They were making this the same time they were making Jurassic Park, but yet they used CGI technology. They used a real cat, but then they like basically CGI'd over the real yeah. cat. Yeah, they the used movie. they used eight different cats. Um, yeah. They all played Thackeray Banks, and they blended the real cats with animatronic cats, and they replaced the face with digital animation from Rhythm and Hughes. And this was the first time that computer were used for character animation in a movie and it's the first Disney film to use digital effects.
effects. And you can say what you want, but I think that, that it holds up for what it is, especially oh, in 1993 Are we going to get a effects. compliment? I'm, I'm serious because I, I watched over the past weekend, I watched the 2020 adaptation, Robert Zemeckis adaptation of The Witches. And the CGI in Hocus Pocus from 1993 oh looks my God. way better than oh the CGI. Oh my God, in you the just Witches. went there. You just fucking went there. Holy shit. That the needs reason to become why, a meme, dude. The reason why is because what they used to do back in the day is use a variety of methods of special effects and blend them together to bring characters to life. They didn't use CGI as a crutch because they were too lazy. You compare, again, the 2020 Witches to the 1990 adaptation of The Witches by Nicholas Rogue and the Jim Henson puppets for the little mice in in The Witches of 1990 was so much more effective because they were real little mice uh, creatures, puppets running around. Whereas in this updated version, quote, updated version, it just looks like CGI all over the screen. Nothing about it looks natural or real. Thackeray Banks is a real flesh and blood character, even though there is digital animation used to enhance the character and make him talk. So... Yeah, I'll say it. I mean, the effects for Thackeray Banks hold up in Hocus Pocus. I was very interested. I I, I had this as one of my plot points here for something I wanted to discuss because you kind of have to talk about it. I mean, it came out the same summer as Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park is the movie that literally wowed audiences with the digital effects and kind of changed the industry forever. But most people don't pay attention to the little stuff that was done. And I again, watching it on the 4K Ultra HD, usually in some instances with old movies, that kind of technology will either be made or broken when you watch it on a new format. And I think it's pretty good. I mean, sometimes the mouth doesn't match up with, you know, the actual dialogue and stuff like that. But this is still, you're trying to make a cat talk. And as we learned from the Lion King remake a few years ago, you can never make an animal look like it's speaking like a human and make it look real because they don't speak that way. Their lips don't curl the way a human's lips do. They don't talk that way. They open their mouth. They close their mouth. They don't, you know, they don't have a lot of character in the way they speak. So I think it's pretty well done. And I think all the actual practical work they did with the cats in the movie is very impressive. I mean, we have scenes with the cat jumping up on Max's back, jumping all over the place, doing tons of action and stunts and stuff like that. One actually would think um, the possibility of maybe being a little inhumane at the time. I mean, I know that this was when a time when animals were being paid attention to, but it's also the era when they made Homeward Bound. Um, where they would have like dogs going into creeks and stuff like that. So um, though for its time, it's very good. I, I, I'm glad that we don't see that kind of stuff in movies now. No, and it's very hard to train a cat too. They're not... Extremely hard. <laughs> yeah. They're not particularly... They're, they're difficult to work with, man. Yeah. So what they managed to do for the character, I think works very, very well. And I think as far as the character himself, the heart of the movie. Yeah. In my opinion. I for think sure. he... And, and some of the best fun moments in the movie, it's funny because I see more of a direct relationship bond with Danny and Banks than I do with her and her own brother. You know, she 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 kind of latches on to him and throughout the movie she's finding comfort with the cat and not in her own brother. He's too busy still trying to fucking get laid over here. That's right. That's right. But so moving along, so hijinks ensue. Max is able to, to lure the witches into a kiln in a, in a school and try to burn them alive. And of course, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Burn the witches. That's a common quote. So you would think, yo, we'll just burn them. They put them in there. We as audience members are led to believe, oh, maybe they got them. Okay, so they're just going to go home. Binks the, is going to have a happy ending as a fat house cat. Yeah, when they lead the when they lead the witches into the school, there's a clever joke about it being the a Boris pri- Carla, or that it being a prison for children. It w- oh. was very humorous. Well, I also love how Max is like Boris Karloff Jr. <laughs> I also wanted to make mention when they're at the party and they run into their parents. They don't. The parents don't really seem to be all that concerned about the kids, even though they're telling them about. I, I think they're hammered, dude. They're, I think they they're probably wasted. are. Yeah, they they're acting are. hammered. Like the mom, when she walks up to Danny, walks up to her mom, she's like, "Honey, huh? What?" <laughs> she, they, 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 they're acting hammered. Like the dad is like, "Who is this young, lovely?" And he's like kissing her hand. It's not dad. It's dadula. Like you know all that stuff. I mean, I don't think Disney allowed what we saw. What I already mentioned earlier on, but I don't think they'd allow all these people at this party to be like holding glasses of whiskey and beer bottles and stuff. No, there was probably some sex happening at that party too. It looked but. like a lot of shit was happening at that party. So in my opinion, they're hammered. That's why they're just kind of like laissez-faire, like, oh, whatever, man, we're having a good time. Also, right. how would they not know what their parents are dressing up as? You know, like, what are you supposed to be? Madonna. And I'm like, whoa. 
So I don't know. Um, yeah, the parents don't seem to care, but that kind of has to happen in order for there to be this carelessness in order for the kids to be out on the loose. It is Halloween night yeah. as well. And I think it's the one night a year that parents are a little bit more relaxed with their kids, letting them go out and trick or treating to strangers houses and stuff. So it's just part of the holiday, Lois. So I guess you just have to go along with it. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. But the witches actually don't get burned alive. They escape. And they kidnap Danny. They well, actually, you know, they run into the bullies first, and it never it, it cuts from the bullies calling the witches ugly to them in cages. And I'm like, how did they get the bullies into the cages? That's never shown. I don't know, but I love it. I just love it. They're like, huh, how come it's only the ugly ugly chicks that come out late at night? And I just I love that. See, next thing you know, they're in the cages because, of course, we, we we want we want revenge for them stealing Max's cross trainers. That's right. That's right. You know. But we I have, have to stop you. We have, have yet to, to mention. You. Hold on. Go ahead. You go ahead. Then I was I was just gonna say that the scene when they kidnap Danny is one of my favorites. You say there's no fright in this movie, but I think it's the best scare of the movie. It's a great jump scare when Sarah Jessica Parker says trick or treat and pops out of the bed. I legitimately as a kid that scared me. Hmm. I remember. I, I still think it's very effective the way the music swells there a little bit. So you can't say it's scare less. It's just there's just like a few few in there. Yeah, this movie never scared me even as a kid, but okay. Uh, I can see that being startling for people. Sure. You know what? Actually, another element that probably did scare kids and that I would love to mention is Billy the Butcher himself played by actor Doug Jones. I, I love this character. I wish he were in the movie a lot more than he is. Actually, the movie should have been about him. <laughs> yeah, and and, and, and and to think, I mean, he's Winifred's former lover who died. She killed him by poisoning him for basically banging her sister, Sarah. So Sewing his mouth shut with yeah, a dull dude. needle. <laughs> so, so he couldn't tell her secrets, even in death. That's right. So, uh, Doug Jones, he's just a master of expression through body language. Language. And he's, of course, no stranger to makeup. This was three hours of makeup that he was in every day for this character. It shows dedication to the craft when they actually put real live moths in his mouth for the scene where his, yeah, uh, to cut his stitching mouth open. comes undone. Yeah. yeah. So really impressive work from Doug Jones. I wish he were in the movie a lot more than he is. He's just kind of, I don't know, he just kind of shows up. He pops up, up in two, only, only two scenes. Basically, yeah. the first scene when they go into the cemetery and he's chasing the kids around. Then at the end when he kind of, he doesn't really do much to help help them honestly he just he's just there to be there but i love the makeup design and again going back to this i can't hammer this home enough it's an it's an image that you never would see in a disney movie i mean it's not grotesque makeup there's not like blood and gore but it's very intense makeup and they do some great close-ups on him and it's amazing makeup i think it's it's definitely one of the spookier elements you say you weren't scared by it as a kid but i'm sure there were kids that watched this in the theater that were scared by that makeup yeah he looks like Karloff. he looks like frankenstein uh with the makeup and i think yeah like i said terrific performance I love the gag when his head keeps getting knocked off. When when it was just the headless suit, that was the stunt woman, uh, Karen yeah, Malkus. Woman, yeah. That's right. That gag, they do it a couple times in the movie, and I, I, I love that. I wish the movie were full of more stuff like that, because a- any time that the focus is not on the three screaming witches, I think is, is, is a plus in my book. It's like a moment of solace and peace, like, ah... No Sarah Jessica Parker screaming. Well, <sighs> you do get Sarah Jessica Parker singing a song, and I really like that. Is the, the song. best part of the movie. It's an amazing song, Sarah's Theme, by James Horner. He was originally supposed to score the film, and he was not able to do it, so that's how they got John Debney in there. But it's one of my favorite moments of the movie. That's one good song. I know you don't like the other musical number, but obviously you can't have, you know, I mean, how can you have Bette Midler in a movie and not have her do a musical number? I don't mind that it was Bette Midler singing. It's just very loud and annoying to me, the song itself. It's it's fine, whatever. But I do like the Come Little Children musical number. I think that leads to the one creepy image in the film in which Max is escaping the witch's house and the kids are just under the spell of the song and they're just like silently walking, walking. Like, w- like zombies towards like the zombies. house. Like zombies, yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the scene in the original Halloween from 1978 when the inmates who've escaped are just kind of wandering around in the darkness and it just it's a brief creepy image of the kids now, under mention, the spell of the song. To mention Halloween, I swear to God, and I may be wrong in this, I didn't go through and like screenshot it or anything, but I swear earlier on in the film, Loy Sauce, in one of the trick-or-treating scenes, there is a, a child wearing a Michael Myers mask. There is, Did, yes. You see it? Yeah. All right. Because I, I know no one's ever really talked about that. And, and, and anytime anyone else, anyone else has dissected the movie, but I immediately know that's Michael Myers. And seeing it on the big screen for the first time is when I actually realized it. And I do watch this movie every single year. But, you know, admittedly, half the time, you know, the last few years or so, it's like passively. It's like on the TV while we're carving our jack-o'-lanterns or something like that. So I'm not dissecting it per se. But so there it is. Michael Myers, The Shape. 
in child form on Halloween. He's there in Hocus Pocus. <laughs> so yeah, to, to wrap up the movie, basically, so it, it, it's basically what we saw earlier in the movie. They're back at the they're back at the cabin. Max is back to try to fool the witches in order to get his sister rescued, and he fools them with the headlights on a jeep. Okay. So yeah, then we get one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I know you don't like the the line of dialogue, but when when you know they're chasing side by side in the car, it's an attempt at like a little chase sequence. We got Winnie. <sighs> Let's show me a driver's permit. You know that little line there. But I, I liked that scene. It had a little bit of tension there. And then I absolutely love how the movie ends. The the climax of the movie, um, the final battle, if you will, is in a graveyard. Yeah. More shouting. Uh- <laughs> uh... We have to talk about it now as we're wrapping things up, though. You got to give props for all the wire work in this movie. Oh, I, sure. I think it's extremely impressive. I mean, at the time, you didn't really see movies. I mean, I think the Superman movies were all in the 80s. So up until that point, you didn't see a lot of wire work in movies anymore. And I really love all the practical work they did with blue screen effects. Um, and I'm just there in the practical cemetery set. It's really hard to do that with one person, let alone three people on three separate wires. Um, so I, all, the, all the action sequences were, you know, Bette Midler's doing flips and they're doing all these really crazy movements i think very extremely well done absolutely yeah props props to the wire work and that was that was the actresses like 90 percent of the time it was all of them on the on they the had wires. to train yeah That's they had right. to train that way so sarah jessica parker had to train on being on the broom stroking it like a giant dick all <laughs> at the same time imagine <laughs> that, that takes talent that takes some real talent baby but i like the climax of the movie i love how the sun comes up the witches have to be dumb we know from the beginning of the movie that the witches aren't very intelligent and obviously the revenge revenge stricken here because they have all the children outside of the cabin they can just suck the life out of but they decide not to because Winnie wants to get revenge on the kid that called her ugly so that's that's how the movie ends with them in the, the cemetery battling it out and of course they this if, if you know the sun wasn't coming up they probably wouldn't have won but I like that it's in a cemetery that it's hollowed ground they can't step foot on it so it's all an aerial battle and I think it adds some good tension I think it's a, a pretty good sequence not an action sequence if you will but as, as far as like being entertaining I like the end sequence. Okay. Yeah, it's a good setting. Good wire work. So you you like it. So you like it then. You like the ending. I like it in concept, in execution, when you have three uh, actresses screaming over the the soundtrack. Um, It's very shrill. It's very shrill and obnoxious. And I'm not saying that the three actresses themselves are shrill and obnoxious. It's the performance. It's, it's, It's almost like Kenny Ortega, the director, said, okay, now scream as loud as you possibly can in every single scene that you're in. And me, the poor audience member, is like covering his ears because I just cannot stand like 90 plus minutes of that shit. Listen, I mean, you sound very much so like what Gene Siskel said when he reviewed the movie. He said the film was a dreadful witch's comedy with only tolerable moments coming from Bette Midler presenting a single song. Yeah, and and Roger Roger Ebert says the movie contains a lot of hysterical shrieking. Yep, (laughs) exactly. So I guess I I can kind of see your point, kind of. But see, to me, that's what witches are. They are they are obnoxious. They are loud. They are just disgusting in every way, except for Sarah Jessica Parker in this movie. Because I'll be straight up with you: even in the '80s, I didn't find her attractive, and I don't find her attractive in, in Sex in the City. But for some reason, I as a kid, I always had a little chubby for her in this movie. Just being gross. straight up. What do you mean, gross? I don't. That's need why to she hear looks that. the way she does. It's not like you haven't <laughs> seen it before, Lois. So the movie ends. And of course, you hear the line from Banks when he finally meets up with his sister. It's a very heartfelt moment. I had to wait 300 years for a virgin to light a candle. And the gate closes and everything's back to normal. It's It's very nice. Is that a matte painting? It looks very nice. It looks like a matte painting. I mean, what else would it be? I don't, you know, other than the cat, I don't think any other computer effects were there to enhance anything else in the film. So um, gorgeous ending to the movie. And that's what I really like that still stays true within this movie over 25 years later is the movie has heart, man. You can't deny that it, it has heart. Mm, I'd say that ending scene is is has the potential to be heartwarming. Yes. Well, the movie's also about, you know, I mean, family, you know, brother and sister relationships and, you know, coming through things together as a family unit. We have all of that in this movie. Uh, maybe you don't see it the way that I do, but it, it's present there. And I think the ending of the, mo- ending of the movie, which is a, a boy that just started out <laughs> trying 
can rescue his sister. It's present. It does just enough for it to be there. Exactly. And it's there. And it's Hocus Pocus. So I understand why the movie has the legacy that it does. I understand why people like it. You know, of course, this is, you know, nostalgic millennials convinced that this is some kind of classic. So, of course, Disney's recognized that. And they've put out a glut of merchandise every year. There's more and more Hocus Pocus crap that floods the shelves of Spirit Halloween. I went went to Baskin Robbins for the Hocus Pocus shake a few weeks ago. It was delicious. But then it gave me a big stomach ache and I had to shit it out immediately thereafter. Sounds like Hocus Pocus. But we did did travel 25 miles away to, to do the Hocus Pocus shake. That's right. That's right. So, and then, of course, you know, Salem has become a destination spot for fans and they've hosted multiple Hocus Pocus themed attractions and celebrations in the past. There's a sequel coming out. Apparently, apparently they announced last year that all three of the main actors were back in as far as the witches are concerned. They were hoping that it was going to be a Disney Plus exclusive. That's what the word is, but nothing's been done yet. But something new was actually happening. There's uh, Adam Shankman. Uh, in the director's chair and uh, High Camp is I guess his specialty he did Rock of Ages and Hairspray so we'll Sounds see what comes of that I mean, I mean dude uh, you had a, a musical director that did this one so I think it's only necessary you know you had someone that did Newsies and the high school musical films that did this one. Um, so, I mean, I guess bring in someone that does cornball musicals. It sounds perfectly uh, acceptable. But there is something new that you listeners can look forward to. If you listen to this episode as of 1030, the day before Halloween, there's going to be Huluween. And you're going to get to see the witches back in full witch costumes for a New York Restoration charity event. It's like $10 to watch the live stream. It's like an hour, hour and a half long event, I believe, where you'll get to see our three main witches, the Sanderson sisters return. It's the first First time they've actually done like a reunion together, all three in costume. I know Bette Midler has um, dressed up in, in costume as Winifred on numerous occasions. But so check that out if you're a fan. I know why this movie is so beloved by so many, because the movie's fucking awesome. It is a classic. It is pure 90s nostalgia, which I don't mind saying so, because we all live in a world right now where nostalgia keeps us alive. <laughs> Literally, I mean, if there's anything out there that comforts us during these crazy times in this world, um, let it be. And so for me, every time I watch it, it definitely brings me back to being a third grade kid looking forward to seeing a movie about my favorite holiday and as you said in the review earlier on Loisos, the movie is pure Halloween it evokes everything that makes Halloween special uh, it actually you know features a lot of the historic elements of what Halloween is you hear actual dialogue talking about the history of the holiday where prior to this you didn't see that much in other movies so the people involved here um, David Kirshner and of course the horror legend Mick Garris put a lot of care and love and Halloween flavor in this thing and to me it is the equivalent cinematically of candy corn you eat it it may give you a stomach ache because you had too much of it but in the morning you're glad you had it either way so that's it for me that's that's hocus pocus man it is halloween candy in cinematic form i i have nothing but respect for the people involved um I think it's the the performances for me are are it's just noise. It's just arguably this is the noisiest film ever made, even noisier than any Michael Bay action movie. And the fact that it's hailed year after year as some kind of Halloween institution is highly irritating to me because I have to see it and hear it constantly. And for me, I mean, give me a Casper or a Monster House any day over over this. Um, and, and I understand the nostalgia aspect of it. In fact, Kenny Ortega, the director. I think High School Musical, the the trilogy, collectively, is the greatest trilogy of motion picture history. Whoa. (laughs) So nostalgia might play a factor to it. And I guarantee if I watched High School Musical as a 27-year-old adult, I'd, I'd be highly annoyed by it. So... Um, I recommend if you're going to watch Hocus Pocus this year, uh, uh, play a drinking game with it. You're, you're old enough. You're an adult. Take a shot every single time Virgin is set in the film. You'll have an opportunity to take 10 shots this Halloween. Well, Oisos, as I always say to you when it comes to this movie, come on, dude. It's just a bunch of Hocus Pocus. And it <sighs> is. Uh-huh, baby. But thank you so, so much for listening. And thanks for sticking with us here on the Epic Film Guys podcast and this special spooktacular B-side we wanted to bring you guys. We know we've talked about talking about Hocus Pocus on the show for legit years, and we decided to finally sit down and make it happen for you guys. So thank you so, so much. And Loisos, for those of our listeners out there that are new to the show, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find us at Epic Film Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and feel free to join our fan community, the Hobsters Dumpster on Facebook. Talk about Halloween, talk about movies. We'd love to have you. Facebook.com slash group slash Epic Film Guys. 
And if you like what you're hearing, we would love, 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 love you as much as Loisos loves Hocus Pocus. If you would leave us a five-star so review all? on iTunes. <laughs> well, if they don't like what they're hearing, we like to hear that too. Any response is fine. Give it to us. Please let us know. But seriously, though, thank each and every one of you that has been supporting this brand. And for those of you that are still going to be sticking with us on the show, we've got some new changes coming up. We've got some things that are going to be happening, but we just love you for sticking along with us. And we hope that you're excited for more EFG content. So until next time, I'm Justin. And I'm Brian. And we'll see you at the movies. (laughs) Ah!